is enlightening, let's put it that way. For those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet, we do welcome you this morning. And with that congregation, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So, if you're joining with us for the first time, those that are guests here this morning, just a reminder again that we preach and teach expositionally at Flat Creek. Uh, we do think, and, and, and pastors, teachers have done this for thousands of years, that the best way to teach the Bible is just to prayerfully consider uh, a portion of Scripture, a book, and teach that book to God's people. And one of the reasons we do that is because being sinful by nature, we would pick and choose what we want to read and we would ignore the rest. And that's not what God would have us learn. So we preach through these books. We've done that for 20-some years now. And God has blessed us because of that. So we're in 1 Peter. And this morning we're going to read verses 10 through 12. Again, a couple of weeks ago we were in this passage. And to remind you that we're looking at hope in the gospel, and specifically in these verses, the diligence that is given to the Word of God. Now, if you don't have Bibles, we have pew Bibles. Please follow along with us. It's on page 1014. That's the English standard. I, am, I use the New King James. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us that were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. May God bless the reading of his holy word, and let's prayerfully consider the illumination of these scriptures. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to dedicate this little one to you, for this precious family you've brought our way. And we do pray this morning, Lord, that we would give diligence to the Word of God as the prophets and apostles of old did to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So verse 10, verses 10, 11, and 12, and this is a, a, just a, a casual review. So when he talks about prophets, and Peter talks about prophets in verses 10 and 11, he is, he's referring to the prophets from Moses to Malachi, Old Testament. And the main point that Peter is making here is that you and I as believers, as born-again believers, should be amazed at the greatness of God in our salvation. And we should be even more amazed than the prophets of old or the angels. Because this occurs for us today in real time. In fact, the latter part of verse 12 says, which things the angels desire to look into. And I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, we are going to examine angels because there's much, much confusion about angels. I would remind you of this. Satan was an angel. Lucifer was an angel. And his great desire is to be worshipped. So when people worship angels, they are worshipping Lucifer. That's not a good thing. So we will broach that this morning. We will next Sunday morning look at it in its entirety. But the angels, this phrase that's used here, they desire to look into, and basically and literally that means to stretch forward your head and to look down into or bend down in order that you get a better view. It's the same word that was used when Peter and John made their way to the empty tomb 
And the Bible tells us in the Gospels, they stooped down and looked into the tomb. This is the very same phrase or the very same verbiage that is used to describe Peter and John and the angels. So that's a remarkable understanding of the angels who, the good guys, the guys with the white hats, do not need to be redeemed. And the bad guys, we know they too, want to find what uh, find out what Jesus did, and we'll look at some of that next week. Peter's aim in these three verses is to intensify our gratitude and fill us with joy, and also to fill us with an attitude of worship for the infinite value of our great salvation. Now, Peter says that the prophets searched intently and that literally means out from the secret places. And so they forced study. They looked diligently. And I would remind you of this, that while the Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is not dictated by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Several passages of Scripture, but look at one. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now Luke would have been a contemporary of Peter. He was not with Peter at this particular time. We do know that Mark, John Mark was with Peter while he was writing this in Rome. Perhaps just a few months before he was crucified. And the introduction to the book of Luke gives us some insight into how the uh, inspirited spirit of God brought forth the word. We know this also from 2 Timothy. But let's read these first four verses. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Now Luke was not an eyewitness. And he explains that here in verse 2. I have listened to Peter and Paul and others. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the first, to write to you an orderly account, most ex excellent Theophilus, lover of God is what that means. Now he's a Gentile. He was a Roman nobleman. So Luke says, I was not an eyewitness. But, and here we see the inspiration, I had perfect understanding of all things from the beginning. Where did that come from? It certainly did not come from Luke. But it came from the Spirit of God. Verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The Bible was not dictated. It was given by the Spirit of God in the words of God, without error, without dispute, using the intelligence and the gifts of the men that were spoken to, to write God's thoughts to us, what God wants us to know about salvation. And that's why verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter is referred to as giving diligence to the Word of God. First slide, if you would, brother. Therefore, Peter says, the prophets foretold the salvation. Jesus accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit led Peter and apostles to explain it. So we have, in fact, in these three verses, we have the prediction of salvation, the execution of salvation, and the interpretation of salvation. Now, the Old Testament prophets were not privy to the complete panorama of God's salvation. The Holy Spirit revealed his plan for redemption gradually. He did this over time and in accordance with his will. And then we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1. In fact, let's turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read this again. This is a review of sorts. <clears throat> Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, 
which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. We will exegete this. We'll look at it uh, in more detail when we come to Second uh, Peter. But literally what Peter is saying is, you and I do not have the authority to lift Scripture out of context and make it say what we want it to say. Private interpretation. And one of the reasons that we are now in a public setting. So when I preach and proclaim, you receive the Word of God publicly, but you also have opportunity to examine the Scriptures and see whether or not these things are so. Paul, Luke wrote about this the church of Berea back in the book of Acts. So I can't make this up. You can't make it up. And he says, For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, verse 10, and we see this in just a moment. We're talking about Moses to Malachi. The, pop, or the prophets searched out of the secret places. They were forced to study, and they did so diligently. We just read from Luke chapter 1. Human skill, craft, investigation, and intelligence were required to prove the validity of what they were writing. And of all the truth that they may have studied, their preoccupation was, in fact, the preoccupation of angels is man's salvation. We'll see that next week. Next slide. So the prophets of old diligently peered into their own writings to understand salvation. Bear with me, this will unfold as we go through this. Now understand they receive salvation without ever seeing or knowing Jesus. Verse 8 talks about this back in 1 Peter now. He says, Whom having not seen you love. That speaks of the prophets of old. That speaks of you and I. They didn't understand the beauty of the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, they wrote things about Jesus Christ, but they didn't understand, in many cases, what they were writing. But they did study. True to their calling, they wrote out from the secret places, and they wrote about God's truth. And you will notice, in verse 10, it says, who prophesied of the grace that would come. So, salvation is the act of saving. Grace embraces all of God's motive behind his saving. It is God's undeserved blessing. It is God's unearned favor. It is his forgiving goodness because above all things, God is good. It is his forgiving goodness towards sinners who cannot forgive themselves. So in verse 10, you have the investigation of the prophets. In verse 11, what did they investigate? Well, they investigated through the Spirit of Christ, the incarnation. And in verse 12, we have the revelation that is given to them. Next slide, if you would, brother. So let's look for a moment at investigation. There are three Old Testament passages, and I want us to go there because this will help us with the understanding of what Peter is writing about. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Keep your finger because we will go back to 1 Peter. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah has been referred to as the fifth gospel. There are perhaps uh, more prophecies in the book of Isaiah, certainly about 
the sufferings and the glory of Christ than in, in the other Old Testament books. But in Isaiah 45 and in verse, verses 20 through 22, we find these words. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations, they have no knowledge, who carry the wood of the carved image, and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case, yes, let them take counsel together, who has declared this from ancient time, who has told it from that time? Have I, have not I the Lord, and there is no other God beside me, a just God, and a Savior. There is none beside me. Singularity of God mentioned here in this passage. Turn over to chapter 55. So Isaiah would have looked at what he was writing to ascertain the great work of salvation that's presented to us that we have a better and clearer understanding of today because of the New Testament. Chapter 55. Five. Ho, everyone who thirsts. This is the, the great invitation in the Old Testament. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Yes, come buy milk, wine rather, and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. Who's the witness? David. The Psalms of David. A leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. This is Gentile nations. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. He's lifted you up so that you will draw, the Spirit of God will draw men to himself. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There's another word for that. Grace. Now find the book of Jonah. Jonah, Micah. We know the story of Jonah, especially if we've been in the Lord's house for any length of time and his children. Let's see what Jonah has to say about God's grace, about his goodness. Chapter 4, verse 1. And this comes after chapter 3, which is when there was a great revival in Nineveh. Gordon was teaching this morning about the destruction of Egypt by the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians. Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Jonah didn't want to go there. Uh, but the Lord kind of forced his hand and he did go. And then he preached. Yet 40 days in the city will be overthrown and multitudes of people came to an understanding of God, of Yahweh as Savior. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, And the thing displeased Jonah. Now how, in God's name, could someone that is a prophet say such a thing, think such a thing? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. All these people coming to know the Lord and they're going to take my position away and this, that, and the other. And I'm stuck here in this old land. I want to go back to Israel. Sounds like some Baptist, does he not? So he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? I knew you were going to do this because I know you. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. So grace is found 
And these are just a few, a few places in the Old Testament. It's interesting that Jonah said these very things. This applied to Jonah. God was gracious to him. He was merciful to him. He could have taken his life. So the prophets investigated. They wrote about a Messiah of grace that would suffer. In Psalm 22, in Isaiah 53, we'll look at that later on. But both of these passages of Scripture go into details about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Messiah. Secondly, they prophesied that a Messiah of grace would triumph. He would suffer, but he would also triumph. And Psalm 2 says he would set his king on the holy hill and he would rule the nations with a rod of iron. Isaiah 9, we read quite often at, at Christmas, it says the government will be on his shoulders and he will be the mighty God. He will triumph, and he did. And thirdly, they prophesied a Messiah of grace that would save. One of the very first things that Jesus did after his temptation, as he came down from the mountain, he entered the city of Capernaum. And as he went into Capernaum, his, his city, the city where he was living as an adult, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Lord didn't avoid the synagogue. He said, well, I'm, I'm the son of God. You know, everything I, says, I say is the word of God. I don't need to be in synagogue. No, he went to synagogue. And as the nature was, the adult men, 30 years of age and older, were permitted to take a scroll and to read a portion of that scroll and then to pray about it. Well, Jesus selected Isaiah 61. And he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He then handed the scroll back to the rabbi. And he said in Luke 4, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. There was no book of Luke. There's no book of 1 Peter. He used the Old Testament to proclaim. He, indeed, was the Messiah that would save. Next slide. Romans 15, which we studied, we finished up a few months ago, talks about the grace and the graciousness of God to Gentile people. Paul, being Jew, converted on the road to Damascus. It speaks of God's grace given to pagan peoples. Psalm 18 does the very same thing. Deuteronomy 32 does the very same thing. And Isaiah 11 does the very same thing. So these prophecies in Psalms and Deuteronomy in Isaiah fulfilled, and Paul uses them and quotes them from Romans 15. They inquired and searched diligently. We see Peter's heart here. We'll see Peter's heart quite a bit as we go through these epistles. His desire was to convey to the pilgrims, to those scattered abroad that we introduced to you in verses 1 and 2, the greatness of salvation. Jesus in Matthew 13, before his disciples and others would say this. Matthew 13, that great passage or the great uh, chapter on uh, parables. And he said this, For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. 
If you're listening, say amen. amen. There's a great move, has been for literally hundreds of years, that we can get a, a, a word from the Lord. We can get a word of grace, we can get a word of mercy. But that discounts what we find in the Word. God doesn't give revelation to people arbitrarily. He chooses the prophets. If I ever stand before you and say, I've received a word from the Lord this week that we should worship Gabriel, then the deacon should usher me as quickly as possible out the door. Any man or woman that does that is arbitrary. Peter knew it, and he taught it. We need to learn it and understand it. What was the last Old Testament prophet? Who was the last Old Testament prophet? Who was the last Old Testament prophet? I'll give you the answer right here. Who was it? Who was the last Old Testament prophet? John the Baptist. Well, preacher, he's in the New Testament. It has nothing to do with it. The New Testament time and place doesn't take place until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, was the last Old Testament prophet. And even John, even John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. We've looked at this a number of times, but it's always good to examine it again. Verse 2, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now John knew he was going to be beheaded. And he was beheaded over something that today we pretty much take common. It's because Herod Antipas was... Uh, in an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, and John told him, this ought not to be. Oh, we get so fearful today. Oh, oh we're so liberated today. It cost John the Baptist his head. And he's in prison, and he's discouraged. Are you the one that should come, or should we look for another? And so Jesus said, you go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And this was an affront to Herod Antipas, the fox, Jesus would later call him. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. John the Baptist longed to look into the validity of Jesus Christ. And Peter writes here that there's hope in the gospel because of grace that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 now and next slide, brother. So verse 10 has to do with investigation. Verse 11 has to do with incarnation. Let's read it. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So the prophets searched. 
And in verse 11, it says they keep on searching. It's a continual type of activity. They investigated into the the secret places, what was taking place, what God was prophesying in the Old Testament. And what that came to be known as, you and I know as, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were unaware of the mystery, verse 11 says that, but they still focused on the coming and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there are several play on words here in the Greek language. We don't see it in the English language. But when you look at searched and you look at searching and you look at manner of time, all of these play in together. And Peter is using them to say literally they investigated their own writings for the timing of and the revelation of the Messiah. Now, they didn't know who that was going to be, but they knew that the Messiah would be the Son of God. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. We don't know that, of course, until we get to Matthew's gospel. So, again, we talk about God's revelation to these people, to people as an arbitrary. He he chooses the prophets. And the prophet, we talked about John the Baptist. We looked at Matthew 11. But John the Baptist, remember John's gospel, And in the other Gospels, the Synoptics as well, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. So he understood from his reading and studying, from going to Sunday school, from being in synagogue, that before him stood, he investigated the timing, he listened to the teaching, He understood what was taking place, that the Messiah was Jesus Christ. He was the last Old Testament prophet. In Matthew 11, we saw he questioned the incarnation. Yet, he gave his life for his first first cousin. Not understanding. Remember, this is a mystery. It is still a mystery to us. You can't explain the I can't explain the incarnation. Got all these great theological terms that help us, but we still don't understand it. How can a spirit being three in one become God in human flesh? I don't know. And you don't know. But that's what the Scripture teaches. And so these men continued their investigation. These men looked into the incarnation. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Next slide. So as we look at Verse 11 and the first part of verse 12 this morning. Peter is giving us four insights, if you would, into the remarkable characteristics of you and I being born again, of the work of God in salvation. In verse 11, he says, the spirit of Christ within them. We understand from what we know about Scripture that the Holy Spirit is the author of Holy Scripture. Does that mean that God the Father and God the Son had nothing to say about the Scripture? No. One God, three distinct personalities. So here, Peter, having been an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, having listened to Jesus preach, having watched Jesus perform the miracles, having denied the Lord Jesus in the sufferings, it says here in verse 11, having seen the glory of the resurrected Jesus, reminds those that he's writing to that the spirit of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was in the prophets of old. For you and I that are born again, 
The Trinity resides within us. We are not our own, Paul would write to the church at Corinth. We are bought with a price. And so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because God is indivisible, resides within a born-again believer. And so Peter says, and he reminds those that he's writing to, he says, I want you to know that the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating beforehand of his own suffering and his coming glory. What a Savior. The sufferings that Jesus would sustain. He prophesied through the prophets beforehand. Jesus knew before his incarnation what lay before him. He knew in time immemorial that he would become the sacrifice for my sin, for your sin. This was not something that dawned on him one day. Wow, I could have had a V8. The Son of God in heaven contemplated his suffering. Give some thought to that. Noodle that for a moment. The book of Hebrews says and declares that behold I come in the body that you have prepared for me to do thy will, O Father. He had contemplated his suffering and his death. He prophesied of his suffering and his death many, many times in the Gospels and the disciples did not get it. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's omniscience, which means that he has all knowledge, all knowledge that can be had, God has. In fact, knowledge exists because God exists. No God, no knowledge. So, with your atheistic friends, ask them that. If you're so smart, why does knowledge exist? As far back as salvation reaches into God's mind, how far back do you think that goes? It was in God the Son's mind. It was in the Holy Spirit's mind. Because there's only one mind with God. What we glean from this one verse is that there never was a time. In fact, before time. Existed. There was no time until creation occurred. We witnessed some of the some of that this week at, at the Ark and the Creation Museum. No time. And yet God existed. When this world is consumed. book of Revelation says that an angel, and we'll perhaps look at this next week, will plant one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, and said, time will be no more. It will revert back to, we talk about eternity. The only reason God uses the word eternity is because he needs to convey that to you and I. There's no eternity with God. 
God exists, period. There never was a time, even before time began, when the salvation of sinners was not in the mind of God. Hmm. Little wonder that Peter would begin this particular passage in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a God. The Son of God, Christ, awaited the fullness of time. Galatians 4, Paul would write about this. He was given some insight into the mystery of the Incarnation. And he awaited his Incarnation looking to his suffering. John Piper said, we were not loved for a bloody moment of sacrificial time in history. Jesus loved his children for endless ages in the Trinity's eternal plan to save sinners. How dare we arrogate ourselves to think we know what God knows? Hmm. That's the first thing. The Spirit of Christ is within them. Next slide. Verse 71, we have, excuse me, not that's verse 12, we have the revelation. To them it was revealed. Who? The prophets. That not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. This is revelation. The prophets and the preachers, Vance and I and many others, minister the grace of salvation through God's steadfast love for his children. It was revealed to them, Peter says, that they were not serving themselves. They were serving you. Isaiah 56, we won't go there this morning. Perhaps we'll open with that next Sunday morning. But it talks about, in Isaiah 53, about the sufferings of Christ. And the Holy Spirit told Isaiah 700 years before the incarnation took place, write these things. In Isaiah chapter 6, is, is, uh, Isaiah is seeing God seated on the throne, the triune God and the seraphim and the cherubim and so forth. All of the holiness of God is revealed to him in the year the king Uzziah died. And there the scripture says, after this great revelation in, in verses 8 through 11, Isaiah said, how long do I have to do this, Lord? I'm tired of this. Jeremiah asked the same thing we'll find in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel asked the same thing. Why do I have to keep doing this? And the Holy Spirit answered, Isaiah, you're not serving yourself. That's what Peter says here in verse 12. You don't, you're not serving yourself. You may be writing to your generation, but you're not serving yourself. You're serving the saints hundreds, thousands of years from now. You're serving every sinner that falls under the convicting power of the Spirit of God to come to and receive the grace of God. Those you are serving, they will read your prophecy. And many will find the proof of who I say that I am. And the truth of Isaiah 53, 6-8 will make its endless value unshakable in our lives God told Isaiah, write about the incarnation. Give them the revelation. Next slide. 
The Bible also says in, this, in verse 12 that the Holy Spirit has brought us the news of our salvation through the gospel. He says, these things now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is a real-time event right here. Right here. And it's happened millions, if not billions of times through the years. It's the good news that Christ came into the world to save sinners and that it, there was never a time when it was not in the mind of the Son of God. He came to save us with a salvation of tremendous value. Why? Because he died. It is far more valuable than anything else we may own or know. So you're listening this morning, and we're going to close this here in just a moment, but I would remind you of this. It's never a preacher. If we preach the truth, it's never a preacher that calls attention to the worth of Christ. It's the Spirit of God. That's what verse 12 says. Spirit of Christ to the prophets, the Spirit of God through us now. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Word of God. That's the instrument that he uses, the Word of God. And then feeble, faithless sinners saved by grace call to be proclaimers of the gospel. Proclaim the good news. It's the last time you thank the Lord for allowing you to be in God's house and hearing the word of God. When's the last time you thank the Lord for those that preached or taught when you were saved? That was a real-time event. Peter talks about it right here in verse 12. Jesus came, the Spirit of Christ incarnate to save sinners and to edify saved sinners. And the final point, we'll not look at it this morning, we'll look at it next Sunday, is that salvation is so very great, it's so lathered in grace that the angels are in awe of what God has done. So my prayer to you this morning is that you will not resist the work of the Spirit of God in your life. The real-time proclamation of the gospel that you are born into sin and without Jesus Christ there is no hope for you. But in Jesus Christ, you can be opened to believe that he died for your sins according to the scripture, was buried, rose again the third day, and then be blessed with an ever-growing gratitude. The writer of the book of Hebrews would say, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word. May we give diligence to the word. May we understand in our hearing today that the real-time proclamation of the gospel is good for us because you're a good God. I pray and I thank you this morning for hundreds of prophets through the years, Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament that were not disobedient 
to the work of the Spirit of God in their lives that wrote to convey to us these grand and glorious truths. Jesus, we could, how do we fathom you thinking about your suffering since time immemorial? And so our prayer this morning is there's one here that does not know your Savior. May they be brought to a saving knowledge of you. May Jesus Christ be exalted in their life. May they cast all their cares upon you because you care for them. As believers this morning, rekindle a desire within us that we understand just how great our salvation is. And the greatness is in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Invitation, very simple. We're going to sing one verse of an invitation hymn this morning. If you're here today and you do not know or you are not sure, if you don't know, you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior. God's desire is that you be born again. Talk about angels. The scripture says in Luke's gospel that there is rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angels. One sinner comes to repentance. Perhaps that's you today. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. The Lord's spoken to you. We can't save you, but Jesus can. And as he longed to suffer, for his Father and for you and I, be reminded that he did that for you today. Make your way out, out of the pew. We can take you to a private prayer room. You can lead, you can, and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church by a statement of faith, transfer of letter. Perhaps you know the Lord is, as Savior and need to follow him in believer's baptism. We encourage you to make that decision today as well. As a child of God, what a remarkable passage of scripture. Oh, what a mind Peter had. We talk about Paul often and should, but Peter, his mind, recalling these events, thinking about his Savior. We should do the same. What number, Brother Mike? 454. 454. 64.